This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 356. We've all, unfortunately, witnessed somebody embarrassing themselves in front of a group. And grown-ups don't want that. Being up in front of the group is a great opportunity to humiliate yourself so people avoid it. Hey there, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm so glad you're here and spending a few minutes with me this week. I really do appreciate it, and I consider it an honor. My name is Jeff, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then guess what? Intentional and consistent reading is a must. I would say, in fact, it's the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. Each week, we're joined by a new author to talk about their latest book and dig into the key insights and main ideas from that book. Our guest today is Michael J. Gelb. He'll help us unpack the content of his new book called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, Eight Secrets to Transform Fear and Supercharge Your Career. I'll start by asking Michael to share about what makes his book stand out from all the previous books written on this topic, how using mind maps for creating your talks can make all the difference, the difference between people understanding and remembering your message and why you need them to do both, and plenty more. Michael's techniques are going to help you clarify and shape your message so that your audience, no matter how big or small, in person or virtual, will care about it. Now, once your message is clear, he teaches you how to convey it in a memorable, creative, and effective way. He shows that public speaking is a skill that anybody can learn and enjoy, really. And this new book is going to guide you to rediscover your natural gift for communication while strengthening your confidence and your presence. I want to quickly update you on the book that I've been working on. We've just ended the what's called the developmental edit stage of the book. That's where many other eyes besides my co-author and me get a chance to read the manuscript and make suggestions for changes and additions and subtractions and that sort of thing. So we've turned that version of the manuscript back into the publisher, and that's where it sits right now due to release in about seven months. And it's actually available for pre-order right now on Amazon. You go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash book to find it there on Amazon or just go to Amazon and search Read to Lead. We've also turned in the endorsements that we've received from those who read the original version of the manuscript. And I thought occasionally I might just share one of those endorsements with you here on the show. This one says, Victor Hugo once said, to learn to read is to light a fire. How true this is. Jeff and Jesse, that's Jesse Wisniewski, my co-author, perfectly capture the essence of reading power in their terrific book, Read to Lead. This book is filled with excellent tips, advice, and suggestions on both why and how to expand your horizons through reading and how to make it a daily habit that will serve you for a lifetime. The readers of today are truly the leaders of tomorrow, a splendid worthwhile read. Wow, what a great endorsement that is, right? That comes from Stephen M. R. Covey, the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust. If that name rings familiar, it may be because his father, Stephen R. Covey, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Wow, we're excited to say the least about these terrific endorsements we're getting for the book. And I hope you don't mind if I share one on occasion before the book comes out in August. Again, to pre-order it right now, go to Amazon and search Read to Lead, or you can simply type in readtoleadpodcast.com slash book, and it'll take you right to that book. Michael J. Gelb is a professional public speaker renowned for his life-changing presentations on creative leadership, genius thinking, and conscious 
business. He's served as an executive leadership and presentation coach to AT&T, DuPont, Genentech, KPMG, Merck, Microsoft, Nike, YPO, and many, many others. Uh, his latest book, I think he's written 17 or so prior to this one, uh, is called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, Eight Secrets to Transform Fear and Supercharge Your Career. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on the Read to Lead podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Well, uh, needless to say, there have been uh, a lot of books previous to yours written on the topic of public speaking. How does your book, Michael, address the topic in a way that maybe separates it from, from what's come before? There's so many ways. <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> Let me count the ways. <laughs> One way is, is that I'm actually a professional public speaker just for the last 40 so years. Mm. And one of the things that I really am passionate about in terms of helping people who may not want to be professional speakers, they just want to be able to get up and give the best man speech at their friend's wedding or just talk to their team at work. Or maybe they are passionate about some kind of cause and they want to help protect uh, some shelter animals or whatever it is you care about. Uh, you need to advocate for this and you want to make your point. So what if you could use the secrets of what professional speakers do and just apply them to whatever your purpose is? And by the way, if you want to become an actual professional speaker, well, we've got plenty for you too as well. But the idea is to transfer what I've learned over all these decades because the pressure is on. I get paid to speak, which I can't I still <laughs> to me, it's still the greatest thing that ever happened in my life, other than marrying my wife, mm. is I come from a family, everybody talked at once. In high school, do you know how they have uh, most likely to succeed? And I didn't win that. <laughs> I won class arguer. <laughs> Two years later, my brother won it. <laughs> of course. That gives you an idea of, right? So everybody's talking at once, interrupting. And I'm in a profession for 40 years where I walk into a room, people are quiet, somebody introduces me, I talk to them for an hour, they stand up and they cheer, and they give me a big check. What's not to like? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, with regard to, Michael, the, the fear of public speaking, talk about the importance of recognizing that it's, it's okay to be afraid. It is the number one fear of the American public. Mm. It's survey after survey, book of lists ranks at number one, death is seventh on the list. Mm. The average person would rather be dead and buried in the casket than give the eulogy. <laughs> I mean, if we put it to you that way, you'd probably give the speech. Right. But the reason it is such a prevalent fear around the world is it really is the fear of embarrassment. And we've all, unfortunately, witnessed somebody embarrassing themselves in front of a group. Right. And grown-ups don't want that. Being up in front of the group is a great opportunity to humiliate yourself so people avoid it. And unfortunately, if you're in any kind of professional association, if you work in any kind of organization, if you want to advocate for any kind of cause, you're going to have to do it. So embrace it. And the first step in embracing it is it's okay to, to be afraid. It's, it's quite common. Many of the top professional speakers, performers, presenters, actors, actresses, singers mm. had withering stage fright at the beginning of their career, but they learned how to transform that fear. That's why, what does it say? Eight secrets to transform fear. I'm not kidding. So what I say <laughs> is we all get butterflies in the stomach, mm. but the secret is how do you get them to fly in formation? And part of that is changing the way you think about 
speaking because if you're afraid, which so many people are, when you're invited to speak, your first thought usually unconsciously is, okay, my objective for this presentation is to get through it without embarrassment. <laughs> but that does not set us up for excellence. Mm. That's not how you supercharge your career. So instead, literally in that moment, I get people, you know, just pretend you're a professional speaker. What does a professional speaker do when they get invited to speak? We think, who is the audience and why are they inviting me to speak? And then we write down what specifically do we want this audience to know? How do we want them to feel and what do we want them to do? Mm. And already the butterflies are in formation because instead of just flying around, oh my God, this could be embarrassing. Oh my God, who's going to be there? Oh, there are important people there. Oh my God, I'm not prepared. Oh, they know more than I do. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about mm. the audience. So we ask, who's going to be there? How can I help them? What do they need to know? How do I want them to feel? What do I want them to do? And now the butterflies are flying information. And here you're talking about how to specifically empathize with the audience, correct? Yes. It's, it's, it's another It's another one of these. When I say secrets, this is a secret to a lot of people. Hmm. One of the secrets professional speakers know that amateurs don't, the audience is nervous. <laughs> Grown-ups and groups are nervous. And actually, you as the speaker are in a position of power. So you, everybody remembers being called on by the teacher or the professor and being embarrassed in class. You have the power to call on people. So you use your power to help put your audience at ease. If there isn't a purpose to your presentation, if there isn't a reason for doing it, don't do it. But if there is a reason, if there's a purpose, if you're focused on bringing something forth to the people assembled that will help them in some way, then audiences are very receptive to that. And, and you focus on them. How can I help them? You get inspired. It's like, wow, what do I know that might be useful or helpful? And how can I inspire these people? And what would I like them to do? Now you're in the flow, and that's just, you know, the first, that's in the introduction, what I just <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into some of the other secrets, uh, Michael, you mentioned excellence before. Can you describe uh, what you call the two simple ingredients of excellence? I don't know that you touched on that specifically a moment ago. But what I would say is that communicate it in a way that people not only understand, but they also remember. Mm. Because one of the, one, again, this is something that professionals know that most people don't. Understanding is not the same thing as remembering. So everybody can sit there and go like, yeah, uh -huh, okay, I get it. That makes sense, whatever. And then later on, somebody says, what did you, what did they talk about? I, I have no idea. I just completely slipped my mind. <laughs> so you could also, you also have presentations that are memorable, but meaningless. Hmm. So, <laughs> so the idea is not just to be entertaining and memorable, without a message. Excellence is when understanding something useful that will help the audience enrich the quality of their lives, solve a real problem, uh, improve the, the state of the world in some way, meets memorability that they will remember. And, you know, I, I, and I, I get emails from people on a regular basis. They say, you know, I was in your seminar 20 years ago, and you said, <laughs> You know, that Leonardo da Vinci was the most curious person who ever lived uh, and that the nature of the questions I ask every day will influence the quality of my life. Well, I just want you to know that that's changed the last 20 years of my life. Mm. So every time I give a talk, I want people to understand what I'm saying, but I also want them to remember it. Well, I know you're a big proponent of utilizing mind maps for organizing your talks. So what, what are some of the benefits of using uh, mind maps in, in this context that, that you've uh, experienced? Sure. Well, besides just liberating your creativity so you have something memorable to say, <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to talk about? Oh, 
Let's make a mind map so you generate. It's easier to generate ideas and it's easier to organize ideas. Mm. Usually people say, okay, well, I talk about, uh uh-oh, Roman numeral one. (laughs) That's not how the mind works. That's not how creativity works. Mm. So the mind map says, no, just go off in different directions. Let your mind go free. Then you step back, you look at it. So it's easier to get started, easier to be creative, easier to make connections with the audience and with your message. But here's maybe the greatest benefit, easier to remember what you're talking about. Because one of the reasons people are afraid is they're afraid they're going to be up there and they're going to forget what they're talking about. <laughs> we, you know, it's great to get the audience to remember what you want them to remember, but you've got to remember it. <laughs> but when you make a mind map and you, you put keywords and images to represent what you're going to be talking about, well, keywords and images are a lot easier to remember. So people find that they become much more comfortable because they're not afraid of forgetting. Your brain can much more easily and quickly access that than it can the typical outline. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, having done this for over four decades, I would imagine, Michael, you've learned a lot through your experiences with regard to setting the stage, both literally and figuratively, your lighting slides, etc. What, 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 what advice can you share? in that regard? Well, it matters. All presentations, including business, so-called business presentations, are theater. They're either bad theater or good theater. And one of the principles of good theater is stage management. I just gave a keynote speech last week live in Singapore, except I was here. Hmm. And a few weeks before that, I did one live in Vienna. And I've been doing presentations all over the world from right here. Hmm. Now, you probably still are talking to people on Skype or Zoom, and everybody is, where you see their bathroom in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so set the stage. You know, it's pretty simple. It, so all of the principles of giving a, a, a great presentation that we apply in an auditorium or a conference room are equally, if not even more important, in an online virtual format. Mm. So be conscious about the background. I mean, we've all been to a meeting and somebody's taking their turn to speak, but they don't bother clearing off the whiteboard what the previous speaker had up there. And they leave up the flip chart or the diagrams that someone else had. And and the audience is distracted. Mm. There's another even more primal element of setting the stage that, again, professionals know and most people don't. In the days when we could all go out to dinner, which we hope will return very soon, Every time you go out to dinner with people or have people over for dinner, whatever, there's something that happens invariably when people sit down. And that is people define their place. They move their fork, Mm. they move their knife, they set up their glass. It's the reptilian brain says, this is my space. Walk into an elevator and people go to their spatial allotment based on strangers or you're with somebody. And if you're in an elevator with seven people and four of them leave on a particular floor and three of the people are over here on this side of the elevator, they immediately readjust their position. It's the reptilian brain is saying this is the appropriate spatial setting. So when you come into a conference room or a Skype room or a Zoom room or a meeting room or a formal auditorium, the more you set it up the way you want it, the more you have a feeling of I'm at home here and the more the audience subtly says, oh, we've been invited into this person's space. Mm. We're being welcomed into their space, but that's the person who's the most organized and in control of the space. I better pay attention to that. (laughs) 
Now, one of the stories from your book that speaks to this, I, I think it was when you were invited with what two days notice and you got there and you realized that the, the setting was not to your liking. What were some of the, the things you did to improve upon that? Yeah. Okay. So this this is an extreme example of this uh, mm. this principle. What what it was is this this telecommunications company was moving their advertising from one firm to another. It was a big deal. It's huge, multi million dollars. And this was the rollout meeting to get the the team of four or five hundred people who worked in media and advertising and public relations from this company to be aligned with this new effort and to support mm. this change. And I remember the theme of the conference was, you will take us there. And it was very short notice. It's like, they, they, I think they feel, oh, we need somebody to kind of motivate these people to buy into this because we're just giving them data, data, data about why this is happening. So it was eight minutes mm. and it was my full fee. So I think it's still the most I ever made per minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I got there because one of the other principles of setting the stage is arrive early and check the stage. And even though they had, this was a big production deal with a professional firm, one of the things you realize as a professional is you can tell them what you want them to do. Mm. You don't have to go into somebody else's setting and feel constrained. You don't have to speak behind a podium if you don't want to, for example. Or you can have one brought in if you prefer one. Mm. You take charge and tell them what you politely. But people love it when somebody know, you know at least acts like they know what they're doing. <laughs> so... Anyway, I got there and I saw that what they were planning to do, they had this huge stage, they had this giant podium, and it had one of these electric buttons on it where you could raise or lower the height of the podium. Basically, the whole program was going to be one senior executive after another talking from this hugely high stage, literally down to these people mm. who were going to be kept in the dark with all the spotlights on the big executives. I've always been... Uh, you know, the kid who sees that the emperor has no clothes. I remember thinking, what's wrong with this picture? You know, Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message. And the message here was not, you'll take us there. Mm. The message was, you actually have no choice. We're the big bosses with all the power and you're going to do what we want, but we're going to pretend that we care about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just had a little chat with the lighting people and the stage managers people. And I played with the, with the podium and I made something up on the spot. I got up there, they introduced me. And actually, I walked from the back of the room in the dark up through the central aisle. So I came out from the audience intentionally. Mm. And I ran up onto the stage and I got behind the giant podium. So all you could see for me to start was a, a talking head. <laughs> and then I started talking in a totally boring, monotone voice. I said, we often find that times have changed. <laughs> And I pressed the up button as I was speaking, and slowly the podium made me completely disappear. But then I said, but we have to come out from, you know, behind the barriers and really connect with each other, connect with our clients. And I had the, the lighting guys put on spotlights on me. And I said, we, we you know, we've got to bring light to this. We've got to get everybody involved. I had the lights go on with moving spotlights to the audience. I said, because it really is you who will take us there. Thank you very much. Standing ovation. Huge check. <laughs> I think some of the senior executives might not have been amused, but I just thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a perfect example of, of not taking what you're, like you said, what you've been given and, and understanding that it's the message is not going to land unless you do something about it. And you did something about it. 
And that's an extreme story. I'm not suggesting that people necessarily make that much of a radical <laughs> transformation, but it, it, I, it's to make it memorable. Mm. It's so that you remember setting the stage, even if it just means having a clear page on the flip chart, erasing the whiteboard, setting the background that you want people to see for your Skype or your Zoom. Mm. Uh, in, in one chapter, Michael lists the 10 most annoying expressions in the English language. Michael, if you would share a bit about the importance of word choice. So speaking and writing are profoundly important skills mm. if you're interested in leadership. If you want to read to lead and you're interested mm. in, in leadership, your ability to speak well, your ability to write well, very, very important. And they become more important the more senior you become. Actually, you know, just before we began our conversation, I got an email from a client of mine who's a CEO asking me to edit the speech he's giving to his team. I do this for him. It's one of the services I provide as his executive coach. I rewrite his speeches for him. I try to do it in his voice, mm. and I've been helping him channel Winston Churchill. Because <laughs> we had to do a bunch of speeches at the beginning of the pandemic and mm. keep the people aligned when things were really, really stressful. Now they've worked it out. But he can send me his, his speech, and I edit it for him and send it back to him. Mm. So even at, at the, the highest level in an organization as a leader, you can have somebody write your whole speech for you, but you still have to give it. Mm. You can't delegate that. <laughs> you can't delegate that. And the words we choose reflect the quality of our thinking. So I, I, my favorite analogy of this is, is cooking. A professional chef wants the best ingredients, sharp knives. If something is stale or rotten, throw it out. Mm. So avoid stale rotten phrases and words. I mean, and, and let's let's just uh, state that it's not a sin. It doesn't mean you'll be struck down. <laughs> I have to be vigilant. Cliches are just waiting to suck us in mm. <laughs> to mindlessness. Mm. So if we want to be writers and we want to be speakers and we want to be influential and we want to be thoughtful and we want to be better thinkers, mm to think about what we're going to say and to choose our words intentionally. It's hard to decide who's worse, business people or sports announcers. <laughs> uh, the sports announcer, well, at the end of the day, you got to give 100% because all things being equal. <laughs> and, and look, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, uh, so you got to do your best and try 100% and leave it all out on the floor because uh, be that as it may, blah, blah, yada, yada. Nah. <laughs> Just please, why why would I watch that? <laughs> well, uh, we're just about out of time, but I want to ask you a couple more questions here. Uh, what what advice would you give when it comes to movement, body language, gestures, eye contact, voice? So there, there's a lot of material in the book. I've been studying this my entire career. The most sophisticated methodology is called the FM Alexander technique. It's the method they teach at the Juilliard School at the Royal Academy of Music and Drama. It's the topic of my very first book called Body Learning and Introduction to the Alexander Technique. Mm. And it is the methodology for developing a powerful stage presence. And it's sophisticated and takes a while to learn. So in the meantime, absolute simplest thing, people, especially if you're frightened, especially if you have butterflies, the simplest works every time methodology people can apply if you have to give a presentation. Let's say you've got to do a Zoom or a Skype next week, or you're going to do something live 
as soon as you're free to do something live again. Let's say you have to do it at 11 o'clock in the morning, wherever you are. Get up early that morning and do the hardest workout you can do. Mm. Sweat, play racquetball or pickleball, (laughs) ride your Peloton, just do jumping jacks, do shadow boxing, but get yourself to sweat. Mm. Because when you work out, look, what is the fear response? It's fight flight. Mm. But what happens is if you can't run and you can't fight, you freeze. So you're basting in your own stress hormones as you're walking up there to speak Mm. and you get cotton mouth and butterflies and you're petrified. But if you work out that morning and you metabolize those stress hormones, you're now you've been running, that's flight or simulating fighting, hitting the heavy bag or shadow boxing or whacking a racquetball or a pickleball or whatever. Mm. You've shifted the, the metabolism has shifted into more of a flow state. And people are just way more relaxed. So that's just the absolute simplest thing that anybody can do to change your state before you present. And, and that lends itself to what you were talking about before is taking those butterflies and getting them to fly in formation, right? It really transforms the energy of fear into the excitement and enthusiasm for giving your presentation. Hmm. Well, a couple of questions not related to the book I want to ask. Before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure we, we know about that I haven't asked about or, or covered? The main thing that we haven't covered, we, we touched on it, but that I just want to make sure people know is, is in there is the five keys to making your message memorable. You make the mind map to figure out what you want them to remember. But there's a lot of research now on how does an audience actually remember? Mm. So it's what you say at the beginning. It's what you repeat. It's how you make it outstanding or memorable by telling a story or making it funny. It's how you get the audience engaged by asking them questions, real or rhetorical, and it's how you finish. So there's a strategy within the book based on that research into recall that will help people. Now you figure out what you want to say, what you want them to know, feel, and do. You made your mind map so you remember it. Here's how you deliver it so that they understand it and, and can't forget it. Mm, excellent. Thank you. Well, Michael, give us some insight, if you would, into your history with reading and, and the impact that, that books have had on your life. How has the habit of being an intentional and consistent reader played a role in your success, would you say? Transformational again. I mean, mm. I can't imagine life without having been a reader. My mom is 90. My dad's 93. Oh, wow. And next to either side of their beds in their place is always a pile of books. (laughs) Ever since I was a child, it's just been a pile of books because there's the one they're reading and then there's the the ones in the queue. (laughs) In order to write the 17 I've written, I needed to read at least all the other ones that are here. When I was 14, 15, 16, I I read a few books that set the course for my whole life. Mm. And Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, Towards the Psychology of Being by Abraham Maslow. The Courage to Create by Rollo May. I mean, I can go through the phases of my life. Right. And there's a book I read at some point that inspired me to go study what I studied, learn what I learned at The Notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci, Transform My Life. And then I didn't know that I was going to become an author. I, I was working on my master's. I was training to be a teacher of the Alexander Technique because I thought stage presence was life presence. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to learn. Mm. So I was on a three-year training course to become a professional teacher of the Alexander Technique in London. And I decided to get my master's degree. I had to write a thesis of 100 pages, which was a tremendous challenge. Fortunately, I, I met 
the fellow who invented mind mapping and he taught me how to make a mind map mm. and that's how I was able to write my thesis and then my thesis became my first book uh. and after I wrote the first book for which I read a lot of books I thought what an amazing process it's just like yeah. becoming a professional speaker how cool is that people pay you well they'll pay you to write too <laughs> and here's the best part you write a book and then they'll pay you to speak about it <laughs> Wow. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but then but in order to write that book, you got to read a lot of other books. Mm. You got to read everything that everybody else has ever said about it. A lot of people are intimidated from writing their own book because they go to a bookstore and they say, oh, my God, everything that's ever been possibly thought of has already been written. Mm. Just read them all and then figure out your own way to express these universal truths that are in everybody else's book. You're not going to come up with a new universal truth. Right. If you do, uh, write to me immediately and tell me. <laughs> but I'm willing to bet that I can show you who thought of it before you. But what you will do and can do and, and are invited to do, the world is waiting you for, to do, is give your own special interpretation of that universal wisdom. Explain how you applied it. Show how it came to life for you in a way that enriched your own life and the life of others. And then you have an audience. And that audience is a group of people who are reached by that message because of the way you shared it when maybe they weren't connecting to it via someone else. And then they're very grateful. <laughs> so I wrote this book, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, which fortunately struck a, a huge chord and still does because Leonardo is a hero of human potential and aspiration. But then I wrote a book uh, called Innovate Like Edison with Thomas Edison's great, great, great grandniece because I realized that Many people resonate and connect more to, to Edison than they do to da Vinci, mm. even though in many ways the lessons from the two geniuses are quite similar, which is also fascinating. <laughs> so people need different metaphors, different stories to, to say, oh, that really resonated with me. That's cool. Well, finally, I'll ask, as you look ahead to this new year, what's ahead for you and your team that you're excited about and, and willing to, to share with us? Sure. Well, two things I'm very excited about. One is I've been invited by my publisher of my very first book, Body Learning, an Introduction to the Alexander Technique, to do an updated 40th anniversary edition. Wow. And we're revitalizing it. So I'm, I'm actually working on that later this afternoon. It'll come out early in 2021. And then the other thing I'm most excited about is with some visionary sponsors, we've created a six and a half hours of super high quality video, taking people through my complete how to think like Leonardo da Vinci course online. Mm. So it's the course. It's stop the video, do this exercise. There are 23 of the exercises that we really teach when I do this for executive teams around the world. We just we thought of this before the pandemic, and we've been working on it. It was delayed a little bit because of the pandemic, but it's now complete, mm. and it's it will be launched within the next week or two. And then we're going to be certifying Da Vinci coaches around the world to guide people through this, so that you know, my vision is a whole new generation of kids can grow up learning how to think like the greatest genius who ever lived. That sounds exciting. Well, the book, again, is called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, Eight Secrets to Transform Fear and Supercharge Your Career. It's one of, again, 17 books that Michael has written that, uh, that you definitely want to check out. Michael, thank you again so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed the conversation and highly, highly, highly recommend your book. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I don't know about you, but I'm excited because I've just gotten some recommendations for books I've not yet read. 
If you want to check into those books and the other links and resources that Michael and I talked about today, I've curated them all on the show notes page that's been created just for this episode. It's on my website, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 356. The number is 356 for episode 356. One more time, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 356. Next time on the podcast, we'll be checking out a book co-written by Ann Chow, CEO of AT&T Business, Mark Murphy, and Pamela Fuller. It's Pamela that will be visiting us here. The book is called The Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias, How to Reframe Bias, Cultivate Connection, and Create High-Performance Teams. Pamela is a leadership expert at Franklin Covey. Lots of good content here, and I can't wait for you to hear more about this great book. I hope you'll consider pre-ordering my book. It comes out in August, and the physical version is available for pre-order right now. You can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash book, or simply search Read to Lead at Amazon. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 